Hey everybody, welcome back to 10% True. Just before you get stuck into this episode, I wanted to let you know that in 2024, I'm going to be republishing my book, Red Eagle's America's Secret Megs. That's the story of the 4477th Test Evaluation Squadron and the program Constant Peg that exposed American fighter aircrew to secretly acquired and operated MiGs in the Nevada desert in the 1970s and 1980s. The book's been out of print for a while. It goes for crazy prices online, but I'll be republishing as a softback exclusively through my website, 10percenttrue.com. If you're thinking about supporting the channel, you'd like to buy the book for yourself or even as a gift, please do go and place a pre-order. I'll put a link in the description. All pre-orders are going to be 25% off and I'll make sure I personally inscribe and sign your copy for you. Anyway, I'll let you get back on with enjoying this episode. Take care. Hi everybody, welcome back to 10% True. This is the second part of my interview with Rich Cooper, the aviation photographer. Hope you enjoy. Okay, Rich, so, so what's, your, what's your third shot? Uh, my third shot is uh, the F4, the Phantom at sunset in full burner uh, over the northern Germany, that one. Uh, so that's a Luftwaffe Phantom. Um, yeah. From the rear to quarter. Uh, that's the one. I wish. <laughs> no, uh, I was very fortunate to be part of a group of us that uh, hired a Learjet for the shot. Um, you for, hired, for sorry, let's, let's just stop yeah, there. You, you hired a Learjet. <laughs> Mm, yeah, there was there was a big group of us involved, and uh, I was because I set it up and briefed it and kind of made it happen. I was, you know, uh, part of that team for without the financial risk, thankfully. <laughs> so, what's the reason for including it then? So it's a phantom. That's it. So I had to include a phantom. It had to be done. And uh, this this one, I, I mean, I've said it a couple of times already, but. Uh, it, it is all about relationships again, and uh, we'd, there's, a, there's a couple of us that worked really closely with uh, JG71 Rick Toffen uh, out of Vitmund in their last days. And I have to be honest, it was kind of like at the start of when they when they were announced they were going to be retired and finished and everything else. I thought, oh man, well I don't I don't know anyone there, and you know this this the last kind of really smoky phantoms in Europe, and I'd love to be doing something and. It's quite incredible how quickly that escalated to then flying with them, uh, going on deployment with them, being on base with them, and you know actually being really good friends to this day with with those guys. Um, it was incredible, and I think I've, I've one of the other reason I've included this one is because of the, the sort of precision you sometimes have to get involved in. And I mentioned a bit earlier about the the one seventeen guys when I when they were like literally giving me an inch here, an inch there, and moving forward a foot, back a foot, so I could get the sun where I needed it and everything. Well, this was um, all about the, the when the burners would be released. So as I said earlier, we were in, in a Learjet, which obviously considerably slower than a, than a Phantom in, in, in Afterburner. So um, we worked out in the brief kind of how long it would take a J-79 to go from dry to full power and it, you know fulfill the stages of burner and where they would need to set up behind us and then kick in the burner so that then they would then break at the right point so you know it was like 2.2 seconds we'd, we'd worked out so we worked out the distances involved and what the radio calls would be and uh so that that shot isn't just a you know a burner just kicking in because it if it if it was just kicking in it you know it would be a bit less dynamic and then if it was already kicked in before us he'd have been long gone and we, we wouldn't have had a chance because you know a jet's obviously got flat windows 
And if you're shooting backwards, the same as any canopy, really, but if you're shooting back behind you, so looking obliquely through through the glass, it's all distorted. And looking that way is is all distorted. So it had to be kind of side on to get the right, um, you know, the, the complete lack of distortion in the image and the jet in focus all the way through. And they, yeah, they flew it brilliantly. Um, so yeah, really, really enjoyed executing that shot. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the technicalities behind it? So, so again, it's an odd metering situation because you've got this beautiful yeah. sunset behind the aircraft. Um, is all that light on the underside of the aircraft coming from the afterburners? Is there any artificial light source there? Great question. That's a flare. <laughs> Aha. Okay. So, yeah. Um, so he was popping flares as he as he as he sped past us, um, and uh, it, it, the camera struggled a bit on that because it because it was so dark up there. I mean, this is this is gone sunset. It's a twilight. So such a bright light and so quickly would would it's going to fox anything, right? So obviously um, I was using manual overrides and trying to you know get it all right. And uh, but the the best one was was this one without the flare in it. Funnily enough, um, you know the flare's kind of like in the in the bottom right if you look at the the image, uh, just that shot. So it's just given enough. You can see it sort of bursting over the clouds as well below there, and it's lit up the underside as well. So that that was a uh, a more pleasing study than the kind of blowing out the the um the highlights because of a, a, a big flare explosion underneath so yeah just the, the timing of that and but i love the fact it's just above the horizon as well you know that that's being super picky and critical uh you know if that wing was a little bit lower down and it was in, in below the horizon then that would have been a factor but uh, I, I like the angle of it i like the the, the, the full stages of afterburner coming out and just the the, the the angle that he's turning away at. So and like I said, it's a it's a heavy phantom uh in the, the last air to airs they did. Uh so super privileged to be able to have, have done that and yeah, again call them friends. How how many takes did you do for that, do you know? That particular shot? Yeah. Uh two. Two. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you can so see the first one was a bit different. The first one we made them go a bit higher, and there was a pair together. So uh, technically, this, this this would be one take because uh, the first one, although they were using the burner um, in the same way, they were further out and as a as a pair, kind of like a, a much wider scene, um, which is another shot I kind of always always wanted to achieve. And that was actually a really tough choice between that shot and this one, but I went for this one. So, 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 Rich, then, what's your fourth shot? Fourth shot is um, probably the least uh, dynamic or impressive in terms of photography uh, of them all. Um, but it's, it's how I felt when I took it uh, and the whole experience around this image. Um, I, I would still completely struggle to put it into words, but, I mean, the, the, the shot is of a North Korean MiG-29 taxiing out of its shelter. Uh, and for the first time, anyone had ever shot them, civil, military, North Korean, non-North Korean, whatever. It was the first time ever this had happened. And it was uh, during the Wonsan air show in 2016. Um, and I, yeah, I still can't really believe that event took place and it happened. And we were there and we 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 did it. There was two hundred and it was two hundred and sixty of us there, I think two hundred and forty, um, because it was a really hot time politically and geopolitically around what was going on with the the whole you know button pushing and you know um, threats and everything else that was going on at the time. Uh, so 
really, you know, lots of people would, would, would pull out of it because they thought uh, we were going to be hostages or, you know, just, uh, I mean, God knows, who, who knows? But um, sometimes you've got to be in it to win it and take take those risks. Uh, it's obviously calculated, measured risk, but it still was, you know, it's a bit of a bit of a leap. Um, and even while we're out there, which is what, what I said earlier, even while we're out there, we didn't really know what we were going to see or, uh, I mean, they'd said what we, we were going to see, but, you know, it was the first time anything like this had ever taken place in, in ever out there, you know. Um, and the first time the military had ever been seen in a public space and everything. So no one really knew whether it was going to happen. Uh, and th- this moment when that mix started up and you were like, this is going to happen. Maybe it's just an engine test. And then he, you know, moved out and you did just didn't know. You had no idea whether it's what, what was going to come next. And uh, yeah, just, you know, eased on the throttles and came out the shelter and it was absolutely breathtaking. <laughs> it was a really incredible moment, as was that whole trip. Was this a uh, a centre of aviation photography event then? This was a, a... yeah. It was. A, I was there with a, with a with a co-op group, yes, but it, it was run by uh, Juice Travel, uh, which is kind of like an agent for um, tourism, and they've worked really hard. I know, I know the guys really well. Actually, they're, they're good guys. Uh, they've worked really hard and built up a lot of relationships. Again, that, that word. Uh, with the North Koreans and uh, came up with this crazy idea of putting on an air show out there, uh, which um, then became a reality. I mean, that's a super long story, very short, but became a reality in September 2016. And uh, yeah, it was an international friendship festival. That's how it was built. And I will never forget it. It's literally, it's got to be the best thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, you know airplane speaking <laughs> kids don't watch it you know wife don't watch it you know what i mean in terms of with a camera camera in my hands and airplanes involved it's uh yeah it was incredible um in it, an amazing experience from start to finish people and the the environment and everything we saw and everything we didn't see and everything that that happened i mean it's the sort of place you go to and it it leaves you with more you know if you've got questions about it then you'll still have questions when you leave and some you know um, the stuff I saw and that I, I still can't get really get my head around now, to be honest. It's total parallel universe within the parallel universe because we know obviously North Korea is pretty unique in its outlook on life and the world in general and everything else. So, you know, you could say it's in that parallel universe. But what we what we saw and experienced out there was was totally at odds with everything that you thought you knew about North Korea. Um, and again, I could I could talk to you for hours about that. Um, it will that'll ne- never leave me. F- photographically, then, were, were there any restrictions on what you could do? Because this is a long. This looks like a long lens shot. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Any, um, any sort of hesitancy to to do to shoot certain things, or did you feel comfortable throughout the whole trip photographing whatever they put in front of you? So, two answers to that. Uh, three answers actually. It's a long lens shot, just because that's I, I wanted to use that particular image. I mean, I've got I've walked all over these things, you know. So I've you know wide angles and sunset shot to it and. Taxing shots, takeoff shots, display shots, everything. It was totally unrestricted as long as you were on that airfield. Um, so we were also amongst the first, well, yeah, the first Westerners to ever be able to photograph from outside, out through the bus on the way into the show and stuff. We had like a, an hour's journey each morning and each evening backwards and forwards, and, and we could shoot outside the bus windows, which, which was a first. Um, so there, there weren't that many restrictions at all, but what you were given as a restriction, you absolutely 
there was no question you you absolutely it was black and white you 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 adhered to it but the 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 airfield at Wonsan uh was was sterile you know they they, they knew that anything that was on there was going to be shot um so for example when we landed at um Pyongyang we we were very unsure about whether it was possible to photograph through the, the terminal windows or the aircraft we'd just flown in on or the other airplanes that were on the ramp and everything else and initially it was an absolute no they did then that didn't change after a few hours but um but then those very same air, aircraft because they were on the ground at one sound were, were, were fair game so it was it was made sterile and um totally unrestricted it was mind-blowing so when you introduced the uh, the north korean uh, image and you were talking about emotions i was actually sure that you were yeah. going to talk about one of the two remaining shots um, sure, yeah, yeah. So, so which one's next then so the next one's going to be the uh, the three C-47s, DC-3s, over the White Cliffs of uh, the south coast. It's not the White Cliffs of Dover. It's down by Eastbourne, down the Beachy Head area, Seven Sisters. Um, and that was taken during the D-Day uh, 75th anniversary celebrations earlier last year. So it's a formation of three aircraft. They're banked away from you. Um, yep. I, I guess you have a new challenge there because you've got to get a prop disc uh, to, to yeah. not, be, not to not be frozen. Yeah, that's really tough. So obviously, you know, shooting anything with props or, or rotor blades is, uh, in the air-to-air -air environment is pretty tough. And um, yeah, you fast jet shooters don't know what you <laughs> what you moaning about. You know, honestly, it's really tough to do that in a in an open um, open door or open cockpit environment where you've got the the wind rushing and you've got um, you know there's a lot of obviously thermals coming up from the sea and the coast and everything else. So um, it can be really bumpy, really really bumpy. So shooting down to from like whatever you know one sixtieth below you know kind of get them in the bag to start with one twenty fifth uh and then start to slow it down from there you know because what what is like you you've got to get it sharp right that's the absolute number one uh there's no point in having a full desk if the airplane itself is is unsharp because you're unable to hold the camera so it's um it's totally down to your own ability and obviously there's some great um in camera stabilization and then stabilization kit out there now as well which helps a lot um but uh yeah so it kind of depends on what what your ability is what the camera ship's like what the weather's like and what your kit's like as to what you can go down to but um you know that that shot was uh you mentioned earlier you kind of got one chance and this this was it you know 75th anniversary of d-day uh the 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 only time this air to air was going to happen full stop um that that was intense. The pressure on that was intense, and we and my my co-op right hand man friend Steve Comba uh, was with with me all the way on that, and we we worked uh, damn hard to make this one happen. Oh my goodness! So I think we worked out there were nine attempted shoots before this actually happened. So I don't know if you remember the weather was appalling um, in the in the lead up to it, and uh, we, you know we tried to do it on the the transit over. We tried to do it on the tra uh, to Presswick. Tried to do it on the transit down from Presswick down to to Duxford. Tried to do it during uh, some rehearsals. Tried to do it on some of their repositioning flights. All an absolute nightmare. So uh, yeah, like so many of these things, it came down to this. This is the only time it's going to happen. You got one chance to do this, and uh, it was incredibly complex. You know, I I um, I really had to uh, well. Yeah, I was going to say I should really grow up a lot in that in that briefing because I was briefing some seriously seriously experienced dudes in that, 
Uh, I think there were 80-odd crews in the Duxford tent when I briefed this lot, these guys. It was it was frightening. And we, they were talking, you know, I had to, had to learn waypoints and frequencies and, out, you know, all the... Or that we we had to we had to bring a formation of twelve Dakotas, the C forty sevens, through <clears throat> from Duxford down to the south coast, and just think about all those airports and airspaces you've got to go through to get there. So, you know, through Stansted, Luton, Heathrow, Gatwick, Farnborough, all those airspaces and all those corridors, and and meeting exact VORs and who was handing over to who and whom and. Oh man, that was that was tricky pilot stuff there, uh, way above my ability. But um, I worked with some some excellent crews. In fact, the the lead pilot of that was was an absolute savior on that. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't mind admitting mistakes as well. So um, during the initial setup of this, we'd uh, we we'd obviously got the plan, and it, not everyone's obviously listening to this knows um, the intricacies of how an air to air works, but it's it's. Um, it's pretty imperative to know who's lead and who's not, you know? So, you know, if, if you're the camera ship, then generally you're lead and you've got the other guys formating on you generally, you know, it can change now and again, but, and you've got to be very clear about when that changes and who changes and what the radio calls are. But, you know, you're, you're the lead and, and these guys formate on you and you fly the pattern and the, the aircraft then flies on in formation on you. So formation qualification is absolutely key. And these guys aren't formation qualified, or not all of them are formation qualified. So that was a real deal breaker to start with. But the the, the head guy um, that's, that's flying, that's all brother. He was amazing. I mean, he he's uh, he he has a real air of authority about him. He's he's the head of the commemorative air force, um, and has has is type rated and everything. An absolute legend. And uh, during, during the actually the initial brief side of things, you know, the, the plan was to fly these twelve aircraft down and our camera ship to kind of be hovering and hopping from formation to formation i was like oh, no, no that's not what i want that's not what i said no but um with i you know i just kind of like okay that's gonna have to be the way it is but i you know part of the mistake i'm going to admit there is that i didn't have the balls to go actually no because i have done this before i've, I've said even on that 117 shoot i said you know what my canopy is not good enough i want it changed the next day because we're doing a sunset shoot and if I've got this terrible canopy and it's all scratched and glazed and everything else, you're not going to get the shot. So they actually changed the canopy for me overnight. So I've got a new canopy, which is why that shot's so clean and crisp. So, but I didn't, for whatever reason, have that same set of balls in that um, Duxford auditorium. And I kind of let the brief go on and thought, okay, we're just going to have to get what we get. And uh, it was then I overheard a conversation at the end by this, the, the, this lead pilot, the um, head of the commemorative air force. And he was saying like, I'm not doing this. This this isn't safe. You you don't run an air to air like this. Who, who's who's this guy? Um, and to be running an air to air like that. And I was like, oh my god, thank goodness you've said that. I, that's not how I want to do this at all. Please let me, you know, let me have my my interjection here and, and say how I want this run. So to his, uh, you know, to um, ever grateful to him for listening. And uh, we sat down and did it properly. And then I rebriefed everyone. And yeah, sitting in a Duxford tent uh, using the, the tent wall as a massive area of the southeast using spots on the wall as, as VOR points and waypoints and telling everyone how we we're going to bring uh, this three ship section over to hold here and then we were going to bring we were going to meet them and drag them across the cliffs and then bring them back again and then um, we would go and hold and then each individual one would come back through so we, 
of all those guys, all those three, all those sections of, of, of aircraft, they all wanted three ships and they all wanted single ship photographs as well. It was so, so complicated, such a complicated brief. Um, so yeah, just uh, attention to detail and having the balls to speak up when you need to um, and getting it right when it absolutely matters is all those points that I'd take away from that shot. I, I think that um, the, the, you know, the subject of admitting to making mistakes is a really good one because you, you kind of would be forgiven for thinking if you look at your images and Tokunaga and Jamie Hunter and Christian, you, you'd be forgiven for looking and thinking, well, they could do it straight out the cradle. You know, it just came naturally. Um, and my yeah. own experience as a, a photographer is that it, it took time. It, you know, a lot yeah. of my early shoots were shit. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. embarrass, embarrassingly yeah. bad. Um, you know, and and yeah. it does. It, it takes time to get to the point where you can run a briefing because you know what you're yeah. talking about and you have yeah. some credibility. And okay, the pilots are going to decide what they're going to do. There, you know, the pilot is going to be controlling the aircraft. There, the, the pilot in command, whatever. Um, but being able to uh, sort of go through the learning experience of having made mistakes and then coming out the other end, uh, notwithstanding a, a you know having some semblance of skill to begin with in handling your camera um you know those are essential ingredients in becoming good at uh at being a, an air-to-air photographer at least yeah i think it's really important uh, you know learning from those mistakes and also admitting when they're they're there yeah you know so you look at any squadron right you know if they they that that level playing field has to be there you know if your commanding officer screws up in your mission you have to be able to talk to that guy and say look this is what i'm not happy about this for these reasons and it has to happen that level of communication so um i think sometimes within the military that's really tough if you're a military photographer and you're like uh, a lower rank and you've got to sit there and brief a lieutenant colonel how to fly a non-standard mission that's really tough but sometimes if you come in as a what the buzzword now is a subject matter expert you know sme and you're able to say right this is how i want it done as a, a civilian then it, it, there's a different dynamic there as well um so yes yeah, it's, it's just yeah quite an interesting observation Rich, what's, what's your final photograph then? What's your final image? Uh, all right, so um, going slightly off-piste, uh, it's my lad and my dad. So uh, I mentioned right at the start, you know, it, it's in my blood and, uh, you know, I'm, I hear, I'm here doing what I do because my dad and everything he did for me and the encouragement and the opportunities he gave me and, um, and the world was a very different place in terms of the security and access as well, right? So... Uh, and obviously then through my granddad as well, who's uh, 100 years old uh, in, in um, where are we now? Yeah, in, in, in middle of March. So whenever this goes live, he's, he's 100 years old on the 14th of March. And um, that's going to be amazing. And he, he was, the, you know, they, those guys were pioneering the design of the aircraft carrier. And and then my dad did what he did. And then I did what I did. And, uh, and I've, you know, now brought a, a son into the world as well. And, you know, sharing all that with him as well. It's, it's, it's just awesome. I love it. So. They, they, that, that photograph means an awful lot to me um, and the, the aircraft involved as well. I, I was super privileged to be part of uh, the team that painted or, or we as the magazine paid for that for the spotty Jag to be painted. So, so uh, just just to explain it to people, it's an RAF Jaguar with a yeah. uh, sort of, a, is it a, a tiger scheme or a yeah, leopard Jaguar. scheme? Or? Jaguar. A Jaguar. Jaguar. Well, there you go. There we go. That would, that would yeah. make sense. <laughs> Yeah, so um, it was when the Jag was being retired out of service and the then CO of the unit, um, he had some balls, you know, he, he was like, right, if we, we're going out, we're going out with a bang. And he was, uh, yeah, an amazing guy, amazing leader, amazing guy. And uh, 
yeah, so he just did stuff. He was like, right, yeah, we, we're going to roll with this. And he wanted to paint an aircraft up. So got a few few guys involved from within the squadron, the engineering team, and uh, got Jaguar Cars involved and got us involved as Aircraft Illustrated and therefore me um, to, to pay for the aircraft to be painted. And uh, in return, we got some... Uh, we, we did a couple of reader visits to the squadron and uh, did some specific shoots with it and everything else. And I'm uh, <clears throat> very privileged to have flown with it as well from a Herc. Uh, so I, it's got my name on it. <laughs> so it's a really, that's an amazing thing. Oh my God, I thought, yeah, this is one of those things, really. Um, another one of those things. And so uh, my dad arranged, um, without me knowing, uh, arranged for us three to go in and see the jet and have it pulled out and have a couple of pictures of, of it um, together as a family. So that's pretty special. Has, has your son caught the bug? Uh, no, no, he hasn't. It's really interesting. It's um, he, he loves it because I love it, you know, and uh, that's cool. And he, he loves to do anything I love to do and spend time with me, which is just awesome. He's like, you know, best mates, but um, that generation, all my days, I, he just, is the, the attention span he he, he won't he, no <laughs> so i was sitting outside an airfield in the freezing cold waiting for a, a jet to come back off from an hour and a half salty never gonna happen no never gonna happen <laughs> so it's just it's just not fast-paced action up i don't know I, you know it, it remains to be seen but you know i, I there's uh in the, the high-tech world of f-35 and carriers and the amazing air force the ref that we've, we've built now you know it's it's um it's called for different reasons now isn't it you know back in our day when we were growing up it was all these amazing airplanes with such variety and color and everything else but now it's it's uh it's no less impressive for what it is you know uh in in terms of a lean mean fighting technological machine it does the job incredibly well and the the, the leadership and the, the the role models involved with the men and women that, that fly these things now I'd, I'd you know i'd love for my son to catch that bug and um, you know, there's still plenty of time for that yet, but if he doesn't, he doesn't, it's cool. But um, he's still a Cooper, so it's still in his blood. 